All right, so we are in the season of Passover. Uh, I decided not to continue on with the book of Esther. You got the, the overview of that anyway, and so I'm sure you were inspired. Uh, it was a great season, and we had a great time. We're in transition. We're going to go into Passover, and today what I want to talk about is Jesus and the Passover connection. So, you know, someone told me, you need to watch The Chosen. You know, the television series, The Chosen. And I thought, you know, another movie about Jesus, I've seen almost, well, I have. I've seen all of them. You know, I've, I've watched them for decades, and they get better and better and better. In fact, uh, Mel Gibson, when he did The Passion of Christ, that was a breakthrough in movies made about Jesus because really, it put him back in his Jewish setting. See, Jesus has been stripped of his Jewishness for centuries, for almost 2,000 years, removed from his Jewishness, from his Jewish scriptures even. We've reinterpreted him without that framework in place. And so, you know, watching the Passion of Christ was just breakthrough stuff because they returned to that framework for the first time in a significant way. So when they said, hey, you need to watch The Chosen, I thought, well, you know, TV series, uh, it wasn't funded by Hollywood, it was funded by, uh, what are those groups, not GoFundMe, but another one like that, where people just gave money. So I thought, well, how, could, how good could that be, right? And, unless you get a ton of money to throw at something, usually the production is not that good. But I was talked into it, I waited for almost a year, and I broke down and I watched The Chosen. And wow. What an amazing television series. Amazing in terms of what it does with Jesus. It puts him back in his Jewish context, just like the Passion, but even more so. Even more so. I'm watching it, and for the first time, I'm thinking, now this is what Jesus really would have been more in, in align, uh, alignment with. What it would have looked like and felt like back in his day. It was absolutely life-changing for me. I loved it. And so when I talk about uh, Jesus and the Passover connection, the reason this is so hot is because uh, many Christians uh, really still don't understand this connection of Jesus to his Jewish roots, that he was Jesus the Jew from Nazareth, and that he loved his people he didn't reject them. He loved them. They were chosen in the foreknowledge of God that they would reject him. God, God wasn't angry at them for rejecting Jesus. He knew that ahead of time and still chose them. It was part of the plan. Jesus loves his people. Jesus identifies with his people. Jesus the Jew, right? And so there's been a lot of ink spilt um, concerning Jesus in the Passover. And there's a significant amount of scholarship that makes the case that Jesus did not celebrate a Passover Seder with his disciples as it's thought of in the Gospels. That that was a, some type of a fellowship meal, love meal, um, a farewell meal, but it was not a Passover Seder. And uh, I, I, just, I just beg to differ. Uh, I just asked those uh, teachers to watch The Passion of Christ and then watch The Chosen, and hopefully that'll spark something deep inside you to return and take a deeper look at Jesus within his first century Jewish cultural setting, not in the context of the Reformers and their ideas. 
And, and they, they had some great ideas. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-reformers. I'm just saying, hey, we've, we've, we've moved on. We've built on that. We're grateful, but we've moved on. I should say we've moved back further now, back to that first century setting of understanding Jesus within the framework of first century Judaisms. So, so let's talk about Jesus and the Passover connection. I'm going to make some statements. Jesus kept and observed the Passover. Ultimately, he fulfilled it in his death on the cross. That fulfillment transformed this holy day, this annual holy day, in a way that it would never be the same. Since that time, more people are referring to it now as the second and greater Passover. As the followers of Jesus, we too are called to celebrate the biblical holy days of our Father in heaven. Our annual celebration of Passover is full of joy, burgeoning with thanksgiving, precisely because Jesus, the Lamb of God, died for us at Passover nearly 2,000 years ago. And as a result, we are forgiven. As a result, we went from being the enemies of God to being the friends of God. This is why we keep and observe the Passover. It's an honor of Jesus. It's the way that we honor Jesus. It's a memorial to his death on the cross, the atonement of our sin. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So today, we will begin to explore Jesus and his connection to Passover and what it means for our world today. You with me? Hallelujah. Luke 22, 1 through 23. I want to read this first. Let's just hear it in its, in its flow. And then we'll go back to it uh, in a little bit and unpack it. It says, Now, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. And Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonging to the number of the twelve. And he went away in disgust with the chief priests and officers, how he might betray him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented, and he began seeking a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. Then came the first day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. And Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, so that we may eat of it. They said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water, follow him into the house that he enters. And you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large 
furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When the hour had come, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is my, uh, uh, the hand of the one betraying me is mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man whom he has betrayed. And they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. Let me restate some points. Just on the surface reading of this text, it is clear that Jesus kept and observed and ate the Passover with his apostles at the appointed time on Nisan the 14th as it transitioned into Nisan the 15th, which is the first day of the Holy Week of Passover. Now, I know that says a lot right there. That I could spend several weeks on, just that statement, unpacking that. A lot of confusion surrounding that. But I want to make it clear, and we'll, we'll do this as we go down through the next several weeks. Jesus kept the Passover. The, the Passover is time-specific. It's an appointed time. He kept the Passover on Passover. And I know lots of people try to say, no, he did it a day early because he's going to be on the cross. He did it on the 13th going into the 14th. Really? So Messiah, Jesus the Jew, is going to break the commandments of God and somehow remain the Messiah? You can't celebrate the Passover on your own time schedule. Not for any reason. Nothing changes the fixed times. You may not be able to make the appointment, but the appointment is set. The 14th of Nisan, you sacrifice the lambs. You prepare to eat them, and you eat them on the 15th. Jesus kept the Passover. It's clear. It was at the appointed time, or it could not have been called the Passover. Now, I know that doesn't fit into a lot of our time schedules for Holy Week, but it will by the time I get done. No, I, I could be wrong. Probably I'm not, though. Okay, so, but I could be. Let me go on. It was at this Passover Seder, his last Passover Seder, that he instituted the long-awaited new covenant that Jeremiah the prophet prophesied. It was long-awaited. It was overdue. The people were groaning for the new covenant because the old one, they realized they had broken. It was not only broken, it had been broken for centuries. 
They'd been without a covenant for a long, long time. And Jesus institutes the new covenant, renewing all the provisions of promises made in the previous covenants. On this, the last Passover with his apostles. Sorting out Holy Week, the Holy Week of Passover, and all that is associated with it, it's very challenging. It takes patient, careful, and diligent work. I've been all over the map on this for the last 40 years. I've been intrigued with it studying it like many of you, year after year after year, and you grow in the grace and knowledge. You grow. If your positions haven't changed for decades, it's because you're not growing. Growth implies change. And, and, and so as I've, as I've studied more and more and, and stood on the shoulders of great men and women who have already done a lot of work in this area, it's becoming clearer and clearer and clearer, and more and more exciting, and more and more transformative as we understand who Jesus, the Lamb of God is, who takes away the sin of the world. It's an amazing season. It's the season of the Lamb. It's the season of Jesus, the Lamb of God. It's His glory. Yeah, the glory is in his goodness. The goodness is that he didn't condemn us. He came to save us. This is his glory. You are his glory. Every, every person that's saved is his pride and joy. All that suffering that he endured, he says, it's worth it when he thinks of you. He says, it's worth it. I would do it again and again and again. Now, in order to comprehend the meaning of this passage that we're looking at, we need to understand the historical and cultural Jewish setting and context. We also need to apprehend the antecedent Hebrew theology of this first century Jewish setting. When Jesus talks of the Passover, there's an antecedent theology there's something that took place in its inauguration some 1,500 years earlier in Moses and the Exodus. And that has been through a lot of refinement by the time it gets to Jesus and the apostles. So there's a whole lot here that we got to unpack. Once we do this, the meaning of Passover explodes with revelation, clarity, satisfaction that leads to power and transformation in our lives and our community. So are you ready? Okay. Coffee bar still open. All right. Let's begin our journey into discovering the meaning and power of Passover. And what we're going to discover and understand is just part of it. Every year it gets better and fuller and more clear. So, hallelujah. In the science of biblical interpretation, context is king. It's one of the maxims in hermeneutics. It's one of the big ones in the science of biblical interpretation. Context is king. Words only have meaning in their contexts. 
And if you ignore the context and assign different meanings, you'll never understand the fullness of what the passage is saying. So we have to understand words in their context. So let's begin with the antecedent Hebraic theology of Passover. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. We're going to read down through this. This is where it all begins, Exodus 12. Now the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month, the month of Nisan, this month shall be the beginning of months for you. It's the beginning. It's our new year. Now I know in America it starts in January. That's the secular American United States new year. Great. I love that. I sleep in. I go to bed early and sleep in. Might mean more to you than it does me. Our new year in Messiah is Nisan. Our new year begins in the spring when life begins to appear, not the winter when everything's dead. Our new year is a new year of life. So God says, this will be the month for you of new beginnings, of beginnings actually. He says, speak to all the congregation of Israel, which later will include the Gentiles who are grafted into Israel through faith in the Jewish Messiah. So this relates to us too. Saying on the 10th of this month, they are each one to take a lamb for themselves, according to their father's households, a lamb for each household. Keep in mind, this is the first Passover. Okay? We are not reenacting the Passover in our memorial. A memorial is not a reenactment. Okay? We're not going to go actually get lambs on the 10th, bring them home, let them poo in the house, bite the kids, and then kill them on the back porch, okay? It's, it's not a reenactment. It's a memorial. And if you can understand the lessons of what took place in that initial Passover, you can then take the principles and apply them to the second and greater Passover because that's what they're intended for. Take a lamb for themselves according to their father's household, a lamb for each household. Now, if the household is too small for a lamb... Then he and his neighbor nearest to his house are to take one according to the number of persons in them. According to what each man should eat, you are to divide the lamb. Your lamb shall be unblemished, uh, male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. You You shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Okay? On the 14th day of the month. In the afternoon of the 14th day of the month, you are to kill the lamb, the Passover lamb. 7 through 13, we'll work our way down. Let's start with verse 7 and 8. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that same night roasted with fire, and they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Please keep that passage up for a moment. Underline blood. Blood is the symbol of Passover. The blood of the lamb is the symbol of Passover. It's the central meaning of Passover. Take some blood, put it on the two doorposts, right? And then you're going to eat that sacrificed lamb. When? Underline that same night. You kill it in the afternoon, you eat it at night. You eat it at night after the sun goes down, but it's still light. We call it twilight, right? The, 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 after the sun goes down, you still have this light, light thing going on until it gets really dark, right? 
And so the night is a reference to Nisan the 15th because that begins the new day. The day always begins the evening before. Kill it on the 14th, eat it on the 15th. We'll get more into that later. 9 and 10, do not eat any of it raw, raw or boiled at all with water, but rather roasted with fire, both its heads, its legs, along with its entrails. Entrails are the inside stuff. Aren't you glad it's not a reenactment? Okay. People have tried to say, no, we're supposed to, we're supposed to do this, and they make an appeal to Exodus 12. I would say, well, go, go get a lamb, do, do it, and be sure to cook it head, tail, and everything in between. Yeah. None of them do that, by the way. Okay. And you shall not leave any of it over till morning, but whatever is left until morning, you shall burn with fire. Verse 11. Now you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. Underline the last part of this verse. It is the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's. It belongs to the Lord God the creator of all things seen and unseen. You can't do away with something that doesn't belong to you. Okay? You can't, you can't say, well, you know, the holy days are done away with. Who are you, God? Are you God? You cannot do away with the holy days. Only God can. And you'll never find a place where God says, yeah, these are temporary. No, what you find is they're perpetual, ongoing, in every generation. Why? They are memorials to His Son. They're the glory of His Son. They inform us about His Son. Verse 13. The blood, the blood shall be a sign. The blood shall be a sign. The blood of the Lamb is the symbol of Passover. It shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. cough. Something else. Father, we just thank you that you have washed over our community concerning COVID-19. Most of us have had it and you have healed us, restored us through many different means, but all to the glory of your son. Hallelujah. Thank you for being good to us. We pray you continue to watch over our families, our health, even the health of the body of Messiah and our nation. We love you. We thank you in Yeshua's name. Comfort the hearts of those who have lost loved ones. Help them to realize death is not the end, that they too will be restored to perfect health in the return of your son. Thank you, Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, when the Lord says, When I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. God's going to pour out his wrath on a very corrupt and evil empire. Moses comes and says, God is offering you an escape from the wrath he's going to pour out. He's offering you the escape of a wrath-filled judgment. It's the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of the Passover lambs. When he sees it on your house, he's going to pass over and you'll be spared in that judgment. But if you don't put the blood on your house, death will enter in. It will devastate you and your family clan. That's the essence of Passover. 
approximately 1,500 years later, terms expand and even change in their meaning and usage. So when we look at the term Passover in the Exodus, it's specific to the day of Nisan the 14th, to the sacrifice of the lamb. In fact, if you were to read in the entire chapter 12, you'll find that you have a seven-day festival on days 15 through 21 called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven-day fast. It's called the Feast. Seven-day feast. It's called the uh, um, Feast of Unleavened Bread. Take that back down. Is that, is that another slide? Where are we? Don't mess with me, you guys. All right. So um, that festival, seven days, is called unleavened bread. By the time we get to the first century, those technical terms in Exodus 12 expand and even change so that when we read these terms in Luke, we have to say, has the term changed? Because the context of Luke is 1,500 years removed from the context of Moses when he used that term. A lot of things have changed. That's why you have to understand the passage in its own setting, in its own context. Words do change over a period of time. So let's look at that. Before we do, I'm going to talk about definitions of the word Pesach. Okay? Definitions of the word Pesach. Pesach is the Hebrew word for Passover. So in the first century, let's look and see how this word Passover is being used. The first definition is the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb. I think they're going to put all four up there on one slide. I'm not sure why. I forgive you. <laughs> Passover lamb. Okay, that's the first definition. It's sacrifice. It's a reference to the sacrifice in the afternoon on the 14th of Nisan. So, the first definition is in reference to the lamb itself. The word Passover is in reference to the lamb, not the day or anything else. Let me give an example. Exodus 12, 21. Then Moses called for the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourself lambs according to your families and slay the Passover. And slay the Passover. Does that make sense? Shouldn't that read, and slay the Passover lamb? No, because the Hebrew word for Passover meant lamb. That was one of the definitions. That's why it's just, it's just said, uh, slay the Passover. Slay the Passover. In Jewish ears, it's, it's synonymous with slay the lamb. But the word Passover simply meant the slaying of the lamb. 2 Chronicles 30, 13 through 15. says, Now many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incest altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover on the 14th of the second month. They slaughtered what? The Passover. Now your translations may even put in Passover lamb. You'll notice that lamb is italicized. That's code for, it's not in the text. It's for English readers. If you're Jewish, you already know the Passover is synonymous with saying lamb. 
give you another example. Mark 14, 12. On the first day of unleavened bread, when the Passover was being sacrificed, not when the lamb was being sacrificed, the Passover, why? Because that's what Passover means. Lamb. Are we catching this? That's definition number one. Let's look at another definition. It has four nuances. The word Passover by the first entry carries four nuanced meanings. And you've got to sort out which nuance is being used in each context. The Passover meal. The word Passover also re- refers to eating the Passover or the lamb. That's eaten, by the way, on the evening of the 15th of Nisan. So as the 14th transitions into the nighttime, that's the beginning of Nisan the 15th. That's when you eat the Passover. Exodus 12, 47 through 48. All the congregation of Israel are to celebrate this. But if a stranger sojourns with you who celebrates the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised and then let him come near to celebrate it. And he shall be like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat of it. Eat of what? The Passover lamb. When do you eat it? In the evening of the 14th, as it transitions into the 15th. Okay? So you're eating it on the 15th of Nisan. Exodus 12, 6. You shall keep it until the 14th day, the lamb. You shall keep the lamb till the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel is to kill it at twilight. Moreover, they shall take some of the blood, put it on the two door posts and on the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed hours earlier. They shall eat the flesh that same night. They shall eat it at night when it's dark. This is, this is after its transition from the 14th to the 15th. You shall eat it that same night, roasted with the fire. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. So sometimes when you speak of the word Passover, it's in reference to Nisan the 15th, not the 14th. Interesting, right? Here's the book of Jubilees written about 200 years before uh, Jesus. It's part of the intertestamental books or what we would call Second Temple Judaism. It's the framework, cultural background of Jesus and his people. Note what it says. Remember the commandment which the Lord commanded thee concerning the Passover that thou shouldest celebrate it in its season on the 14th of the first month, that thou should kill kill it before it is evening. Kill the lamb before the evening. On the 14th, kill it before evening. And that they should eat it by night on the evening of the 15th from the time of the setting of the sun. For on this night, the beginning of the festival and the beginning of the joy. And then it goes on. So again, not only do we read the text correctly, we look at the history of the Jewish people and they're doing it correctly. They're killing the lambs on the 14th in the afternoon. They're preparing the lambs. They're cooking the lambs. And then by the time they sit down to eat, it's the 15th. They're eating their satyrs at night, which is technically the 15th of Nisan. And eating the lamb is also one of the definitions of the word Passover. So when it's talking about the Passover, you got to say, is it in reference to the 14th and the slaying of the lamb? Or is the author actually talking about eating it on the 15th? 
two different nuances of the word Passover. Let's go to number three. Number three, the Passover can also be in reference to the peace offerings, which are offered and eaten during the 15th through the 21st. The 14th, they kill the lamb. 15th, they eat it. Then on the 16th, they have another bunch of sacrifices. And then in the evening, they eat again. And then on the 17th, they have a bunch of sacrifices. In the evening, they eat again. And so on and so on through the 21st. Because it's a seven-day festival called Unleavened Bread. And the sacrifices given are referred to as Passover sacrifices. Isn't that interesting? Certainly makes things complicated, that's for sure. So every day for seven days, there were lambs sacrificed, along with cattle, by the way, prepared to be eaten in the evenings as part of the festival week of unleavened bread. Give you an example, 2 Chronicles 30, 21 through 22. The sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. Alexia, is she in her? Worship every day. We've we got to have jam sessions. We've got to make this a week-long deal, right? Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of the Lord. So they ate for the appointed seven days sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God of their fathers. And guess what was sacrificed daily as peace offerings for seven days? The seven days of unleavened bread? Lambs and cattle. And guess what these sacrifice peace offerings are called in Hebrew? Passovers. It's the Hebrew word. Pesach. They are Pesach offerings. Deuteronomy 16, 1 through 3. Observe the month of Abib, that is uh, uh, later uh, Nisan, correlates to Nisan. Celebrate the Passover to the Lord your God, for in the month of Abib, the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt by night. You shall sacrifice the Passover to the Lord your God from the flock and the herd in the place where the Lord chooses to establish his name. You shall not eat leavened bread with it. It being what? Passover offering. Seven days you shall eat with it. With what? Seven days. Oh, there's seven more days of eating Passover offerings? Wow, okay. That's a game changer when it comes to the meaning of the word Passover. You shall eat it with unleavened bread for seven days. The bread of affliction so that you remember all the days of your life, the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. And then in 2 Chronicles 35, 6 through 9. Now slaughter the Passover animals, sanctify yourselves, prepare your brethren to do according to the word of the Lord by Moses. Josiah contributed to the lay people, to all those who were present, flocks of lambs and young goats for all the Passover offerings, because they go on for seven more days after the first one numbering 30,000 plus, 3,000 bulls. These were from the king's possessions. His officers also contributed a freewill offering to the people, the priests and the Levites, Hilkiah and Zechariah and Jehiel, the officials of the house of God, 
gave to the priest for the Passover offerings 2,600 from the flocks and 300 bulls. Conanai also, and Shemaiah, and uh, Nathaniel, his brothers, Hashabiah, and Zeal, and uh, Josabad, the officers of the Levites, contributed to the Levites for the Passover offerings 5,000 from the flocks, 500 bulls. In the ancient world, primarily rich people got to eat meat on a fairly regular basis. The average Joe, well, you didn't eat it hardly ever. Imagine the sizzle of these seasonal celebrations. Seven days, leg of lamb, tenderloin, you know, ribs. What a joy. What a joy. Now, today we eat tofu. Because we've had our fill of beef. But no, it, it, it is a, a remarkable festival. Uh, the point I'm making is that it's what we call the octave, the octave of Passover week. Eight days from the 14th through the 21st. Not only a big meal on the 1st, the 14th going in the 15th, but from the 15th on for seven more nights, eating and festivities. So in summary, Passover can refer to the initial sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the 14th. It can also refer to eating the Passover lamb on the 15th. It can also refer to all of the Passover sacrifices to be eaten on unleavened bread for the next seven days. The word can be referring to any one of those. That's why the context determines what the author is conveying by the use of that word. Okay, definition number four, Passover week, the 15th to the 21st of Nisan. Passover week, originally known as the week of unleavened bread, seven days from the 14th to the 21st. It was called what in Exodus? Unleavened bread. By the first century, they not only called it the week of unleavened bread, they would also call it the week of Passover. Those two words were interchangeable. We see this not only in biblical literature, we see it in the Jewish literature of the Second Temple period. Let me give you a passage, Luke 22, 1 through 2, and then we'll, we'll do a summary and get back into our text. In the Second Temple literature, the entire week of unleavened bread was also called Passover. In Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, it says this, Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread... Right? That, that's a seven-day festival from the 14th of Nisan to the 21st. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover. Yeah. The Passover can be in reference to the week of unleavened bread now. That's a game-changer again. That, that's why we have to pay attention to our context when we're reading them. So in summary, Passover can refer to the initial sacrifice of the Passover lamb on the 14th. Or eating the Passover lamb on the 15th, or the additional Passover sacrifices to be eaten on the unleavened bread week of seven days, 15th through the 21st, or it can also refer to the entire week itself, the week of unleavened bread being called Passover week. So back to our opening text to get some clarification. Let's take a look at the 
the, the context now and see if we can sort out the meaning of the word Passover in our context, in our passage that we opened up with. Luke 21, 1 through 2. Now the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is called the Passover, was approaching. The chief priests and the scribes were seeking how they might put him to death, for they were afraid of the people. A couple days before Passover, before the week begins, this was in reference to the word Passover is being used to refer to the entire week. Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot, belonged to the number of the twelve. He went away and discussed with the chief priests and the officers how he might betray them or him to them. They were glad and agreed to give him money, so he consented and began looking for a good opportunity to betray him to them apart from the crowd. 22 and verse 7. Then came the first day of unleavened bread. Then came the first day of unleavened bread. Back in Exodus, that would be Nisan the 15th. But by the first century, it's Nisan the 14th. Okay? Then came the first day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. That's the 14th. See how the words are expanding and and overlapping now by the time you get to the first century? That's just the nature of of language, how it changes over, over centuries. So this is Nisan the 14th. Luke 22, 8. And Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. Go and prepare the lamb so that we may eat it. The word Passover here is a reference to the lamb. This is definition number one. 9 and 10 says, they said to him, where do you want us to prepare it? And he said to them, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house that he enters. Verse 11, and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? The word Passover here is being used in reference to the, fe- the feast, not the killing of the lamb, the eating of the lamb. This now is being used to refer to Nisan the 15th, the Seder that's done in the evening. Definition 2. Luke 22, verse 12. And he will show you a large room, furnished upper room, prepare it there. And they left and found everything just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Again, definition 1. Uh, They prepared the lamb there that they would eat later on in the evening. So in conclusion, try to get some questions in here real quick. If you want to get ready, get some chairs or whatever. If you want to get Alexia ready. Okay, we're ready. Let me just make some conclusions. Jesus kept and observed the annual Passover according to the scriptures. He had a Passover lamb slaughtered on the 14th of Nisan in accordance with the scriptures. He ate the Passover lamb in a Seder meal with his apostles on the night of Nisan the 15th in accordance with the scriptures. He modeled that for us. What it means to keep signs and wonders. (laughs) We're not just a Messianic congregation. We're a Messianic charismatic congregation. Signs and wonders. All right. Haven't had that for a while. Here we go. Praise God. Okay. He modeled for us what it means to keep and observe the Passover. The Passover of the one true and living God. As followers of Jesus, we will do the same. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Yeah, what did Jesus do? That's what we do. That's that's what it means to follow him. 
By doing the Passover, we will learn exponentially more than any studies could ever impart to us. Doing it is where you really gain insight. Ezra studied in order to do, and then later to teach others. But if you never do it, I mean, you know, you, 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 can, look at, you can look at meadows of the mountains in a book on meadows in the mountains. Turn the pages, look at the beauty. Do you think that is going to impact you and inform you? The same as if you go up and run through the, the meadows and lay in the meadows and smell the flowers and eat them. Most of them are edible, all right? Yeah, you got to do the Passover. You'll, you'll gain so much in that in terms of the experience, not just the knowledge of Messiah, but the experience of who Jesus is, the Lamb of God, who takes away your sin. So start planning now to host and facilitate a Passover Seder on the 14th, going into the 15th. Look at our calendars. That's Saturday evening, April 27th. As Shanna said, we're going to have resources up so that you can all do it. And you don't have to do it perfectly. You'll do it better and better every year. It's easier and easier. This is your heritage. So take advantage of it. Invite some people who have never done a Seder before and turn them on to the glory of the memorial to Jesus' death at Passover.